we'll go from there. Um, let's begin with the prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, you have given all holy scriptures for our learning, and we ask, dear Lord, that you would open our ears to hear the truth of your word, and that you would create in us uh, and strengthen that uh, faith, faith in your Son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so this is intended to be a basics of the Lutheran teaching. Uh, in other words, we have a set of doctrines, a set of teachings. They all come from God's Word, but what are they? This first class is going to be a summary of the whole summary. So it intended to be a, kind of a 10 to 12 week uh, class. This is going to give you the overview, the overview of that overview. So let's jump in. First of all, on your sheet that you have in front of you, uh, in what ways does the triune God make himself known? If we're going to talk about theology, if we're going to talk about learning about God, about his church, about doctrines and teachings, we'd say, well, God's going to have to teach us. He's going to have to reveal himself to us. How does he do this? Well, three ways. The first way is through the existence of the world. We call that the natural knowledge of God. That is, nature itself we get to see. And so the scriptures tell us, Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. When you see creation, which everybody can see, you see the creation of the world, you look at this and you go, whoa, um, that teaches me about God. When I see some creation, something that has been made, Hebrews 3, 4 says, every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. So, if I go out to the uh, ditch, and uh, Eric comes walking in, and he says, hey, pastor, I, I found this on this watch in the ditch. And I go, really? Really? And I, I say, well, how, you know, what, how do you think it got there? And he says, well, obviously it evolved. And I go, what? Wait, wait, what do you mean? He goes, well, over millions of years, you know, the sand went in and got hot and kind of formed the glass part and it did then. And it got, I go, wait, wait a minute. You know, when I see something, I say, no, uh, uh, someone must have made that. When I see the house, things don't happen. Creation tells us that there must be a creator. When I see uh, the heavens, the skies, the stars, these kind of things, I go, whoa, the person who made that, I can tell the difference. We use this natural knowledge to teach. We teach our children this way. Um, you see a caterpillar, you're out on a hike. You look at this little caterpillar going across, and you go, hey, take a look at this caterpillar, you know. Wow, that is amazing. You know, there's there's a God who made that. What do you do? You go home, you get out the pipe cleaners, you get out the egg cartons, you make your little caterpillar. Now I show you my child's caterpillar pipe cleaner. You know something about the maker. One is a lot better than the other one. One is, uh, um, But we know every house has been made. Romans 1.19 tells us this, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to him. Since the creation of the world, his, that would be God's invisible attributes, are clearly seen, they're being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they, referring to the unbelievers, are without excuse. 
those who are even those that don't have the scriptures, they at least know that there is a God. They know on the basis of the creation itself that there must be the scriptures. You know, finally say Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Um, you know, to uh, the the position of atheism um, just doesn't accord even with natural knowledge. At some point, um, uh, you've got to make up something to deal with creation because of what's revealed. Number two, let's see if I'm hoping this is going to work. Let's see here. Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> through creation, or through, the other thing is conscience. This also is natural knowledge of God. Romans 2.15 says this. Uh, that is, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. So their conscience also bearing witness between themselves and their thoughts accusing or else accusing them. So the creation shows us uh, that there is a God. We also know that everyone has a conscience. What is this? Um, when I was growing up, you had Disney, you had the movie, you had the little creature, Jiminy, that would sit on your shoulder, and he was your conscience. And when you did something right, he said, you shouldn't have done that. And when you did something good, he said, that was a good thing, you felt good doing it. What happens? Well, you compare your behavior to the law that is written on your heart. And sometimes it's accusing you, sometimes it's excusing you, telling you you did well. Um, it shows that everybody has that. I mean, if we want to talk about, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, murder is wrong. Stealing is wrong. Um, these are the things that we know in natural knowledge. We know about this conscience. Romans 1.18 goes on to say, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Yeah, it does show that when you disobey, you feel bad. Um, I don't have to do... I, I, children know this right away. They know when you talk to them and when you say to them, what did you do? And they go, oh, I, I know I did wrong. Um, you can suppress the truth. That we, we know that if you continually to deny your conscience, we call that bending your conscience. You can bend it so that it quits talking to you. Um, and, and that's what some do. But you still have to do that because we already have that. These are the two ways, naturally, that God reveals to us. But we have to understand how limiting this is. Um, when we see creation, I don't know God's name. I go out and look at the stars sometimes. I like astronomy. It never says Jesus in the stars. You know. You know. It doesn't tell us who he is. I, I can't know that. I know from here that there are certain behaviors that are right and wrong. But that's all I know. That's all I, I know there is a God. I know he's wonderful and great and more powerful than I. could stomp on me like a, like a bug. You know, stomping on a bug. And I could know that he requires it. But that's all I know. We're quite limited when it comes to, uh, uh, to those things. Next thing. Three. God reveals himself, especially through the Holy Scriptures. And this is called revealed knowledge. And this is going to be in the realm of what we're going to take a look at uh, in our study. 1 Corinthians 1.21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So God's going to preach to us. He's going to give us his word his revealed knowledge, and that is found in the Word of God. He's going to have men write down what he wants them to know. 
Um, so, natural knowledge. You look at me and you go, well, he's about six foot tall. He's a man. Got gray hair. He's got to be pretty old. You can, you can figure stuff out. Revealed knowledge. I have to tell you that I like to go out and look at stars astronomy. I have to tell you I like to bike. I have to tell you I have five kids and one grandchild. But if I reveal it to you, then you'll know it. God, there's some things we can know, but it can't save us. In the Bible, God wants to reveal his name, who he is, what he desires of us, how we are saved. That's where we're going to go to find out these things. John 20 and truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So, we're going to go to the scriptures. We're going to go where God has revealed himself, and he's going to tell us, not everything, but he's going to tell us the things we need to know to believe in Jesus Christ and that we might have life, and that we might be saved. Going on down on that page, where is God's truth about this Christ made known? Well, as I mentioned this morning in the sermon, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, these things are revealed. Um, Hebrews 1.1 says it this way, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in the time past to the Father's by the prophets, so he, did, he used the prophets, and he did it many ways. He did it through object lessons, he did it through words and speaking, he did it through pictures. He has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed all things and through whom he also made the world. So, it is through Jesus, who called the apostles, who then write the scriptures themselves, um, Jesus is the one who reveals, and we have the apostles recording what Jesus taught us uh, in the New Testament. Uh, Luke 24 says, Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he expounded them all the scriptures concerning himself. Whether we're looking at the Old Testament or at the New Testament, we have two testaments. Primarily, there's, uh, uh, if you take a look at it, the Old Testament is about two-thirds, and the New Testament one-third, what are we going to find? We're going to find that each one of them are going to be pointing us to the things about Jesus, the things that concerning Jesus himself. So, as we take a look at this, let's keep going. The next one, next page. Christianity, what is it? Here's the thing, fill it in. Christianity is life and salvation. First two. Number one, it is life and salvation. Jesus said to me, said to him, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the life. Um, this life is life here and now. It's a life that continues. It's a life that is eternal. We will live forever. Um, and so he is providing for us a, a, a life. It is to be saved from a death. There is a salvation because sin has brought death. And we don't want to uh, eternally die or to have uh, uh, hell. This is to be saved. Part B, if you put in there, Christianity tells us that this life and salvation is not earned. It is a gift. Put down it is the gift of God. Uh, 
John 1, 5 and 11 to 12, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Here's the word. God has given us. Um, we're not going to go through it. I'm going to try to stay very positive in the sense that I'm going to positively present you. But at some point, we're also going to have to talk about other religions, other denominations, in which we say, well, there's a reason why we don't teach that. But this, what do we find? It's a gift. Um, no, it is not earned. It's not uh, uh, by hard work or whatever. God is giving it out. And so I need to tell you about this great gift that he has. Um, and finally, this gift of God, which is life and salvation, it always comes through Jesus. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son. Or Acts 4.12 says, says, Nor is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved. Life and salvation and this gift, it all comes through Jesus. So to receive Jesus is to have those things. Um, that's why we call it Christianity. It is Jesus the Christ and it is to be connected with him. Yeah. So it's simple the thing about having salvation, but what is heaven? What is life then in that context? And that you have life and salvation through Christianity. What is the life part? Number, what is the life? Number yeah. one. Living forever, eternally. Mm -hmm. Oh, but it also includes, you would say, abundant life. That is, you fully experience the blessings that God has given, as opposed to the wrath and punishment. So at some point, Jesus also talks about, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Um, you might say, to put it, uh, uh, and maybe crudely, but to say, you know, God created you this instrument in this world. And he says, hey, I got the instruction, man. I know the best way in which you can fully enjoy the life that I have provided for you. You start misusing, you know, this instrument, and it, it's, you know, yeah, you, you know, you can use a, a hammer to, for certain, but if you're using it for the wrong thing, it's not going to be the best. You probably ought to use another instrument. So it includes eternal, but also abundant life. Next one. Uh, going down the page, page two, by what authority? You know, in the history of human religions, there exists a number of different attempts to provide what we would call grounding for religious beliefs. And you say, well, there's a lot of things in the world. What about this? Well, there are some that have tried to uh, secure their assurance of salvation, their assurance of religion that they got right, by experience and emotion. This is where someone uses what they feel to be true and say that's true. So truth is defined in subjective categories. Uh, um, I'll let my emotions, my feelings, subjectively, what's true for me, that's most important. Others have tried to use reason and intellect. That is, that which can be rationally demonstrated is true. Human reason then becomes the final judge. If it goes against my human reason, you tell me uh, uh, that... Uh, 
that God created the world in six days. My human reason says it ought to be different, so then I'm going to deny that. Human reason becomes the, the, the final judge. Uh, some have used personal grounding. That would be you have a, a person, a charismatic leader, someone who can engender obedience from his followers. You find someone that you go, wow, that he's really exciting. He really knows, you know, that's the person that I'm going to go to. Um, you know, uh, uh, what's right? Well, let's go ask him. He will tell us the truth. He becomes the, the guru. Um, or, D, there's an institution. There is some institution that will, an organization, it has traditions, it has leadership structures, it will be the final arbiter, it will tell us what is the authority. How do we know? By whose authority do you have that? Well, my own experience, my own reason says it's true, um, a charismatic leader or a group, an institution, can be the thing that has been set out for that. Um, those things are appropriate in certain levels. Um, there's a sense in which, yes, when you grow up, what do you do? Dad, let me ask you. What, you know, I mean, you go, uh, um, you know, I want to use my reason in certain things. There are other things that emotion is, is, is key for. But when it comes to religion, God exercises his own authority. Those are not the way in which we determine what is right, wrong, and prevent a grounding. It comes through his word. In other words, what happens when God speaks? God accomplishes his own purpose. It is, if I talked about the creation of the world, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, that starry host by the breath of his mouth. God doesn't, he doesn't need a charismatic leader to tell us, he doesn't need your intellect to approve it, he doesn't need an institution, he just uses his word and his word accomplishes what it provides. His word itself is the authority and that is why we are going to go to the word of God. What do we call the Holy Scriptures? Well, we call the Bible the Holy Scriptures. Yes, through the Holy Scriptures is written, it is written in human language. Nevertheless, we call it God's Word. Um, it's inspired, it is without error. So when we read individual passages, we read them in light of their immediate context, as well as the context of all Holy Scriptures. So, a couple things. First of all, inspired and inerrant. 2 Timothy 3, Paul tells Timothy, who was a, a kind of a pastor, bishop of the church, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may become may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what does Paul tell Timothy? Well, you're a man of God, you're a pastor, a preacher, you are complete and thoroughly equipped. Why? Because you have the Holy Scriptures. You can use it for doctrine, teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, you can do all of this. Why? It's given by inspiration. Inspire. Spire, spiro is the word for breath. In, breathe, spire, breathe in. So it's breathed in. Um, I'm a pastor. I go to the hospital. I go visit people. Um, sometimes I have the unfortunate where you go to visit Mr. Go, you know, well, I, I need to, where's Mr. Jones? You know, I'm sorry he has expired. And I go, 
expired. Nobody says expired, you know. Why, why do they? Because you don't want to say death at a hospital. That's the enemy. That's what, you know, we're comfortable. We kind of go, yeah, I know I'm death. But no, he expired. means Mr. Jones breathed out X. He didn't breathe back in. That's what happened. Well, these scriptures are breathed in. The men wrote them, but God made it so that it was his own words that he said. That's what we mean by inspired. It comes from God, though various men wrote them. Second Peter one twenty one lets us know a little bit more. For prophecy never came by the will of man. That is, the scriptures, it wasn't man kind of going, yeah, I think I'll tell you, I'll, I'll just make this up. No. Holy men of God, the writers, spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were moved. Um, think of, and it's the same word, think of a ship that has a sail. And what happens is, is that God is moving. They were moved. God uses that, blows in it, to make it go where he wants them to go. That's what he is doing. Though when they go there, it didn't come by their own. God moved them. So we say, yes, men wrote these. Of course it's Isaiah or Paul. And yes, it has their own particular style. But God made sure that when we get done, it's his word. John 10.35, the scripture cannot be broken. You can't break it apart. Um, the story is told of Thomas Jefferson. He was a rationalist. Reason or intellect was his means of, of foundation for truth. So what he did was he took the scriptures, particularly the New Testament Gospels, and he went through and he would uh, uh, read. And if there was a part that didn't agree with his intellect, Yes, it says Jesus walked on water. Well, my intellect says men can't walk on water. He cut that out and threw it away, and the other parts he pasted in a book, and that was his scriptures based upon the intellect. But the scripture says you can't break it apart. You can't take one and leave part of it. It all comes together because it all came from God. He is the one who is doing so. It is inerrant. It's without error, and it is inspired by him. So we have a scripture that's inspired and inerrant. How are we going to read it? How do we read it properly? Well, once again, that's where these things come back in. So many have tried to say, well, what's the correct in interpretation? Well, some have said, A, it can mean many things to many people. We don't really know. Others have said, well, my human reason to term is like Thomas Jefferson. Uh, there are others who have said, well, we'll find one particular person you know, a charismatic leader. Some have actually said to me, you know, well, that, that's what you guys do. You're, you're Luther. He's your leader. You're just whatever he says. And I go, no, not so. He is a one of, one of our, like, he wrote many good things. But he, just because he wrote it, there are some things he wrote that weren't right. And we deny those. We reject them. <laughs> Institutional-wise, no, I don't believe it just because a Lutheran church or some church or some organization. How do we read it scrap uh, properly. Well, let's know, first of all, the scriptures are clear. They are clear words. They present exactly what man must know. The scriptures are not this dark, hard to understand, obscure writings, who knows what it means and whatever. The scriptures say things like this. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. It 
highlights things. It shows us the way to go. It's not that the scriptures are like we're in light and the scriptures like make everything dark and unclear. That would that would not be helpful at all. Second um, Peter one says, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain. You would do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place. So yes, these scriptures are going to teach us. It's going to be easy because they're going to highlight and tell us these things. So let's go to those scriptures and let's see exactly what they uh, uh, what they say. What is the key to the correct interpretation of the Bible? Jesus is the heart, the center, and the purpose. Jesus, in John 5, says this, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. He told his enemies, These are the ones, these scriptures are the ones which testify of me. Here's the diagram I like to use. If you have the creation of the world, the writing of the Old Testament, you have Jesus coming, and then the writing of the New Testament, uh, all the way to the end of the world, That the scriptures of the Old and New Testament... Um, as we talked about, they are, I include, I think I already mentioned before, that the Old Testament was written by Moses and the prophets. There are 39 books. Moses wrote the first five. The prophets wrote the next. We have the apostles who wrote the 27 books that are found in our New Testament, 66 total. Um, the Old Testament prophets all were telling us about the promise of a Savior. They were saying, get ready. Jesus is coming. Uh, um, look forward to his coming. And they were pointing us to, to Jesus. After Jesus had come and fulfilled the prophecies, the New Testament writers pointed back to the Jesus and said, believe in him. But what we find is that everybody was pointing to Jesus and his work, both Moses and Brian, the apostles. He is like the center, the cornerstone. Jesus says, the scriptures testify about me. Um, Acts 10, to him all the prophets witness. They're all pointing to Jesus. Uh, that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. <clears throat> um, maybe you've heard about a, a, a children's sermon where, you know, they, they talk to little kids, they bring them up, you know, and ask them something. So uh, uh, the pastor uh, brought the, the kids up front and he asked the uh, kids, he said, all right, so tell me, what is little and brown and furry, has a tail and eats nuts? And the kids said nothing. He said, come on, what's, what's little, little, brown, furry, has tail, eats nuts? Nothing. And finally the pastor, you know, says, Johnny, you know what this, come on, you know. And, and Johnny looks at the pastor and he goes, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus. When the pastor speaks, the answer better be Jesus. He, the, Johnny's right. The pastor always needs to be pointing to Jesus. I don't know about the squirrel thing, but you're, you know, and most of the time, 80% of the time I ask you a question, the answer is going to be Jesus because he's the heart, the center, and the purpose. If I explain a Bible verse, a Bible story, a book of the Bible, and I don't point to Jesus, I got it wrong. I messed it up. You know, you, you, you've got to say, wait a minute. If he is at the heart, if he is at the center of all of them, that's the only way we can make sure that we got the correct interpretation of this. So, 
let's go back. How about this human reason then? Uh, we've got a scripture that is clear. We've got one in which, uh, uh, do we use human reason or then do we not use human reason? Well, um, as I said, I've got an inspired word. I've got an inerrant word. Uh, the inspiration is God-breathed. That is, it is God's word himself. The inspired part that is without air, that Jesus is at the heart and the center. The next thing that we need to know is this. Holy Scripture is to be the master. And human reason is to be the servant. So that in the end, the principle that we go by is, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. So here's the thing. God's Word, He comes to us and writes it in human words, in human language. He uses grammar and logic. I've got to use my intellect as a servant to figure out this text. What's the subject? Jesus. What's the verb? Walked. Well, what does that mean, Walk? Well, it's like this, you know. And, and then what is the water? Well, it's like a lake. And, then, you know, so, and, I, and I go through. That's the direct object. And I, and I put it in its context. You know, is this, a, is this a poetry? Well, no, this is a historical account of what Jesus did and where he went. And then it says he walked on water. I need to use my human reason to figure out the, the language. But I don't want to make my human reason the master in which, like Thomas Jefferson, I go beyond and say, well, God must be right. He, he, I know what it says there, but it, it couldn't be that. Or try to change it for, in, in some way. Uh, one needs to serve the other. In the end, then, how do we know we have the truth from God's word? Because I let God explain God. Um, if Mark says something, you say, well, what does he mean? Let's go ask Mark. He'll tell us what he means. And that's what we do with the scriptures. We go to the easier passages to explain the harder. Romans 3, 4 says, Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and let every man be a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. We don't judge God as being false. If we don't understand it, it must be our fault. Um, let God be true in what he has presented to us. 2 Corinthians 10 says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Um, no, I don't want to let my philosophy overcome my uh, theology, what God has uh, taught us. We find that that's what, God, that's what God's people have always done. Acts 17.11 doesn't say that they went to uh, the church to tell them what to believe. It doesn't say, I went to a charismatic leader. No, Paul came and talked to them. And what does it say? Uh, these, uh, the Bereans, who listened to Paul, were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So if I teach you something, you have to go back to the scriptures to make sure if they are correct. Let God see if that's exactly. God will tell you if what I'm saying is true. Um, and that is where we go. Where does uh, the pastor fit into scripture interpreting scripture? Perfect. Next paragraph. Holy Christian Church and the Office of the Holy Ministry. 
So, this message that God has given is not a disembodied message. It isn't that God said, well, here's a word, I have no idea what you're going to do or how you're going to do it. And he said, no, 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 I'm going to set this up. I'm going to set up a church. I'm going to call my church. I'm going to put a man, we're going to call him to be the preacher of that word so that the word goes out. Um, that's the way I want to set this up. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. After Jesus is risen from the dead, and as he's setting up a church and going away, he says, Go therefore and make disciples. Of who? Of all nations. No one is excluded. How do you make disciples? Two I-N-G words. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And so the way we make disciples is by baptizing and teaching. And Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says, wherever the church is baptizing and teaching, and his apostles, pastors, and those who are doing it, I'm with you. I, you, can, you can be guaranteed that Jesus is there where baptizing and teaching is going on according to my word. And he goes further. He doesn't say this is just an option. He goes on to say, you know, as he sets up his church, you know, if an unrepentant person refuses to hear them, those that are the pastors, Tell it to the whole church. If he refuses to hear the church, treat him like, let him be to you like a, a heathen or a tax collector. Um, Matthew 10 lets us know that he intends, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, that it would be congregationally gathering together to hear the word, as is the manner of some. You know, don't stop this. Don't forsake it. Exhort one another, and even more as the day approaches. So he wants it to be set up. He set it up for that purpose. But even there, where the pastor preaches, it needs to be judged by the word. What distinction, what basic distinction must we keep in mind in order to understand the Bible? All right. If there is something up to now, um, I, 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 all of this ought to be commonly taught in Christian denominations, no matter what. But if there is one thing that is a, a heritage of, of Lutheranism that we have highlighted, um, it will be this distinction between law and gospel. And if you'll note on my sheet, just as I have here, I put the law on one side on the page, and the gospel on the other, and I'm going to go through it this way. This is something that, even as I have taught many different, we have a, a learning centers, we have different teachers and all, and I teach them. You know, every one of them, a uh, uh, Christian, has gone, you know, I never quite heard it like that. But that's exactly what, you know, that's what Christian is. And I go, yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so let's take a look at it. What basic distinction? We're going to go to the Bible. We're going to make sure that Jesus is at the center. We're going to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Here's what we find as we go to the Word of God. We go to Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. We go to the Ten Commandments that teach us this is the law. That Ten Commandments put down here, the law was given through, put the word Moses there. Let's see if I got it on my thing. Yeah, through Moses. The law was given through Moses. Moses was told, come up on the mountain, Mount Sinai. God gave him the Ten Commandments, uh, and he brought those down. Um, these commandments tell us what to do and what not to do, and we find that this law kills. 
it kills. It tells us what to do. Did you do that? Oh, I didn't get it done. Ah, it, it, it kills us. It shows us uh, where we have uh, fallen short. What does God do and teach in the law? Well, in the law, God commands us to do good works. And not just by deed, but by our thoughts, by our words, by our deeds. And where we do not keep it, he condemns and he punishes sin. Uh, The next section, the Ten Commandments teach what man must do. Understand this is a command. This is a, a law. This is God is the one giving the commands. God commands Man must do it. Um, sometimes I'm, I'm teaching the uh, uh, children, and I get to the fifth commandment about you shall not murder. And, uh, you know, one time, most one little girl, she was a little bit worried. She told me, she said, well, my cat killed this mouse and broke the fifth commandment. And I said, well... This was for humans. <laughs> Cats can't break the fifth commandment. Um, who commands it? God does. Who has to do it? We do. And he has given it to us. So the commandments come to us and they tell us again and again, you shall or you shall not. You shall, you shall not. I like the acronym to help us to understand and to remember this. It is SOS. So if you put in these blanks, shows our sin. That's what happens. Uh, The law comes to us. It tells us what to do. um, But what we find is that we haven't done it. and, And we haven't kept it. Um, And so, when it teaches us these things, so I included one of the passages here, Romans 7, 7 to 10. Paul was teaching, and he says this, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? is, is, Is the law the problem? No, no, no. Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. So, I didn't really know I was a sinner. I didn't know what I was doing wrong, except the law showed me. Now, we do have the law written on the heart. I might have a general idea that I have failed to kind of keep up, but I didn't realize how bad this was until the law came. I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. So that's what happened. The law came to me. It was, it was very good. I didn't know the situation. But it also goes on, it says, but sin taking the opportunity by the commandment producing me all manner of evil desire. And what's that saying? That's saying that, you know what? It wasn't until the law told me don't lust after your neighbor that I went, well, now I really want to lust. I mean, what what's going on here? You know, this is why the teacher at the beginning of the year you know, has only a couple rules. You know, be nice to your neighbor. Sit in your, you know, she doesn't go through and say, "Don't throw spitballs." Don't throw. You know, the kid. You're just giving the kids ideas. You know, they produced in me. Hey, now I want to do that. You know, tell me that I can't go over this line. I'm going. Yeah, what's over that line? Um, why? Because I've got evil desires in me. Apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came. Sin reared up, it revived, and I died. The commandment was designed to bring life. I found it brought me death. So what does the law do? 
Well, let's make it quite clear. Uh, the law is like a ruler, and it judges us. It judges our heart, it judges our soul, it judges our mind, it judges our strength, it judges everything about us. And the problem is this, is that the standard that it makes is 100% perfect, never have sinned, not even once. And so it comes to us and says, all right, let me, what, what's the standard here? And every one of us look up to this standard and go, well, that's, that's too high. Yes, we've all fallen short. It has judged us as not good enough. Now, it was a law, and it did promise so I might say to you, um, Eric, I can uh, uh, I can give you a million dollars. I got a promise. I promise I will give you a million dollars. There's just one thing you have to do. You have to jump over this church. Now, it's a law. It's a it's you know that you have to do. And if you could do it, you would get it. But the problem is, the law that God has given, none of us can do it. Um, we're not. You go to you go to Six Flags and there's a Screaming Eagle ride, uh, large used to be the largest wooden roller coaster, you know. And at the at the very start of the roller coaster, there's the uh, plywood character Mickey Mouse, and he's got his hand like this. What do you have to do? Be that tall. Be that tall. You have to all the kids try to measure up, right? God says, you have to keep the commandments. That's how. And every one of us look and kind of go, yeah, I don't measure up. If all we had was the law of God, it would be bad news. God gave us the law, and we can't keep it, and you can't have eternal life, you can't have salvation, you get nothing. That's what the law teaches us, if that's all we have. Thankfully, God's Word teaches us another doctrine. There are two doctrines found in the Holy Scriptures. The second doctrine is the Gospel. The Gospel was given through, put the word Jesus, the Gospel gives life. Ah, this Gospel is a different doctrine from the law. The law is when I say to you, Eric, go get me a glass of water. I'm commanding, you have to do it, it's something you have to do. The gospel is not that. The gospel is God giving us, offering us a free gift. It's radically different. You can, you can say, well, yeah, he's as large as the gospel. The gospel, what does it do? The gospel is good news. It's about our salvation in Jesus Christ. In the gospel, God is giving out things. He's giving out forgiveness, faith, life, the power to please him with good works. In this, we have a different thing. We have, like John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Okay, so let's go through it. God loved the world. Who did the loving? God. God. He gave his only begotten. Who gave the giving? God. God. That whoever has believes. Who gives faith? God. God. Through the word. And they would have eternal life. He's given that life. Who gives life? God. This is all about gift. 
you know, over here with the law, it's about telling us what to do. Over here, he's saying, it's yours. I got something for you. He wants to give it to us. It tells us about what God has done, not what we have to do. It tells us what God gives, not what we have to. The gospel declares, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, it is the gift of God. Put the word gift in there. If the law is like a ruler, the gospel is a gift. It's about God laying something in our lap and saying, it's, it's for you. He's giving out forgiveness. He's giving out faith. He's giving out life. SOS. If the law always accuses, we find that the gospel empowers. It gives us faith. It, gives it, it shows our Savior. That's the distinction that we have. And so, this giving of, that God is giving, which, again, as we're talking about Christianity, we talked about the life and salvation God is giving in and through Jesus Christ. He's giving out these things. Um, he wants us to have them. This then becomes, if the law is bad news, this becomes good news, which is exactly what the gospel is. It is the good news. Romans 1, 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. Why? It's the power of God. It's what God uses to give salvation for everyone who believes. He wants to have it through faith to the Jew first, also to the Greek. It is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It's written, the just shall live by faith. Through faith in Christ you receive this gift. So the scriptures have bad news and good news. I don't know if it makes a difference of what's being recorded, but your speakers are up in, in your pocket. Or oh, is it when I get excited? Yeah, I didn't know if it made a I'll difference on the recording. I'll turn it up a little bit so it doesn't <laughs> quite do that. Okay. All right, so, have you ever heard someone tell you, I got bad news and good news? You know, and then, then you kind of go, eh, yeah. All the time. Uh, um, yeah. So I got bad news and good news. Now, sometimes we kind of go, well, I, you know, I get these two. Why don't you just tell people the good news? Why, why, why? Just leave this off. Just tell them the good news. Well, the thing is, is that God gave us both these things, and one prepares for the other. I need the bad news to show me my sin, so that when I offer you the gift of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, you want to take it. If you don't know that you have failed, if you don't know your sin and the wrath of God, when I say to you, I got a Jesus for you, go, well, what am I going to do with that? I, I, I don't need a Jesus. I'm doing just fine. The law is intended to show us the way that we really are so that we're ready. If I offer to you a, uh, uh, a tire sealer, all you have to do is put this onto your tire, whatever, it'll seal up your tire, I got it ready for you, and Eric says, I don't know, I don't need that, you know. But if I give him the law, you know, before I came down to teach this class, I looked out the window and there was a guy with an ice pick going like this to your tire. I got bad news. Now would you like the good news? Yes. That is why God provided for us both law and gospel. The law doesn't save us, but it prepares us so that we receive the good news which he is providing for us. Next page. The small catechism. We're going to be taking a look at the small catechism. Actually, our diocese is... is uh, introducing and taking a look at, an, uh, at a different version. The catechism itself written by Luther is the same. The questions and answers that are in the back, the explanation, 
changes as, as we address different things that are going on in, in culture and society. Um, so anyway, we, we will get to it. But most of what I teach, I'm going to go back to what's called the small catechism. Here's what we find if you want to fill in on your blanks. You have one, two, three, four, five, six on the left side. These are the six chief parts of the catechism. Ten Commandments, Apostles' Creed, Lord's Prayer, Holy Baptism, Confession, and Lord's Supper. Now, what about this? Uh, the small catechism, I would say, is like a guide or a map to prepare us for the Bible, which is the real thing and which is the journey. If you say to me, I am going, uh, Pastor, I'm going to go on spring break, I'm going to go down to Disney World, and uh, can you help me out? And I say, yeah, no problem. Drive south and a little east. <laughs> It'll work, but it won't be very efficient, right? Um, but if I give you a map and I show you, here's the way you go. I want you to go through Nashville. Oh, make sure you stop at Stone Mountain. And I tell you about some things. And there's a really good restaurant, you know. And I, I kind of go, you will, you will, it will be more efficient, and you won't miss the most important things, right? That's what the catechism is. It is designed as a map. It's going to give us these six chief parts, the main highlights, so that when we go to the scriptures, we don't miss it. Now, if I give you the map to Disney World, you don't say to me, well, great, now I don't have to go. I got the map. I go, well, no, the map's designed to get you into. But this book is a big book. And, and it would be helpful if you had a map. Here is the map that we have. What does Luther start with? He starts off with the Ten Commandments. Is that law or gospel? This is the only question. Actually, this is one of two questions. Law or gospel? Law. law. It is. <clears throat> if the Ten Commandments are law, guess what the Apostles' Creed is? It is gospel. The law tells us what to do. Now, the Apostles' Creed is actually not found in the Scriptures themselves. It's a compilation of what the Scriptures teach concerning the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and tells us we can find all the parts in there, but it's not actually written like at John chapter 3 or anything like that. Um, the law tells us what to do. The Apostles' Creed tells us who God is and what he has done and the good news that he is giving to us. That is a summary of, well, the way that God speaks to us. It's a summary of the Scriptures. The Scriptures is made up of law and gospel. It's made up of... Uh, uh, commandments and good news or, or the creed. It is God speaking to us. Next part is the Lord's Prayer. If God speaks to us in his word, we speak back to him in prayer. That's what the uh, Lord's Prayer is. The disciples asked Jesus, um, teach us to pray. He gave them this prayer. In one place he says, say these words, and in another he says, pray like this. It's both a guide for us to pray, and it is also a prayer that we use. God wants to know. Um, you know, no, nobody likes the smart aleck teenager that you uh, uh, talk to them about something, and they sit there and, and don't talk back, you know, I'm not going to talk to the old man, you know, just... No, God says, all right, well, let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about who I am. Let me show you your sin. What, what do you have to say about this? 
He wants to hear us confess. He wants to hear us say, oh, thank you for the forgiveness of sins. He wants to, uh, um, he wants us to speak back to him so it becomes a conversation. He speaks to us in his word. We speak back to him in prayer. That's the way that it works. The next one is called Holy Baptism. God has set up a way in which we enter into his family, the church, just as you enter into your family at home through a birth. We have a new birth, a being born again through Holy Baptism. When you were born at the hospital, your parents gave you a name. I gave my kids the name Henson. Because that's the family name. When you're baptized into Christ, you get the family name. You are called a Christian or a Christian. Because in baptism, you become born again. Uh, This is the way in which we enter into God's family. The next section is confession. I know people get the wrong idea and think that Christians are perfect and this is the way they are and they always do it. And we kind of go, no, actually... Now that we're in God's family, we spend our entire life confessing our sins and receiving forgiveness. That's what we do. That's the life that we have. And it is one that we rejoice in. uh, Because this is the way in which God gives us life, an abundant life, and provides for us. There are also a meal. If you are a family and you're part of the family of God, this is the family gathering meal. Uh, if you have a family and your Hansons, it comes to Thanksgiving and we all go together and we have a Thanksgiving meal and you do it. Well, every Sunday, Holy Day, we have a family gathering. These last three are described as the means of grace. Grace is God giving us gifts. And so he is being gracious through these special things that he has set up for his church. You don't have Lord's Supper and baptism at your home. This is something you do, and God has set up uh, in connection with his church, that we might uh, gather together. Uh, And so we see that uh, uh, this is the way that God is uh, uh, taking care of us uh, in his church. Um, This is the six chief parts. These are the... What we look at as we're going through the Holy Scriptures as we're teaching, and we will find that uh, uh, that's what we have. This teaching that we have is found in the catechism. Uh, Catechesis, cata is to hit against. Kesis is kind of your ear. What you do is you bounce this teaching off of your ear, and you do it as an instruction. Um, It's done in question and answer format. It was written by Dr. Martin Luther, not that he is perfect or, or whatever, but he was someone that God did bless uh, uh, with some understanding and teaching and corrected the church at the time that it needed it. Our church has been using this book since 1529, um, and it has kept us with the same teaching so that it didn't vary over time or, or change. Uh, these six chief parts are taken from the Bible alone because doctrine or teaching is to come from God alone. That is where we are supposed to uh, uh, go in order to uh, know that foundation uh, that we have. All right, that pretty well gets us to the end of the kind of the summary that goes with it. I'm sure there are things that that you 
wish I had gone through, and I'll get to them at other points, and we'll uh, come back to and highlight some of the things that we have. I did include on the next page for the next week, um, if it would be helpful for you, there's a hymn verse that you can read or sing. Begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a psalm verse that can be used as a prayer. There are some readings that would be, well, quite helpful. I did include Luther's morning and evening prayer. If you do this in the morning, you do it in the evening. This can serve as about a five-minute family devotion if you've never done that before, individual devotion, and say, okay, so um, maybe I'll start reading God's Word, and how can I do that? This would be a format that I would start with. I will be uh, uh, explaining some of the tools that I provide for our congregation, our family daily prayers, Lutheran Herald, and some of these things as well, and, and teaching about those. But uh, this is the, something that might be quite helpful. And then there uh, also is a, a quote from the large catechism on the back that might be of interest as we move forward, talking about how God reveals who he is uh, through the creed. Any questions? I've hit about an hour, and that's what I wanted to get right on. Um, I know, as, as I mentioned before, I usually wait until people ask me about a class. And if I only have one, I'll do it kind of individually at the home. If I have three or four people, I'll do it in a class. Uh, this is the first one that I kind of pushed on it. No one actually said, let's do this. But I knew that I had several that possibly could come. I am putting it online. It is available to, uh, to view, to see. It'll be there not only right as we're doing it, but it'll be available from here on out. Um, and it is there along with uh, PDFs of these so that then I think there will be some, I know uh, some that couldn't come uh, that are watching online, some that have said they're going to watch later. There may be others that wanted to watch one class first before they showed up. I am, I am committed to doing four in a row, and so this is the first of four Sundays in a row. I've got some things going on, so we're going to wait. After that, we'll see. If you're still interested, let me know, and I'll continue classes. If not, I'll do some individually or, or however. But that's the way we're going to kind of start off with uh, in teaching this. So, questions, comments? Well, just just comment. You know, I it, it, it really struck me, you know, when you laid out... Uh, law and gospel. You've done it in the past, but it didn't really strike me until just this afternoon. Um, you know, it's really important to have a, an understanding of the Old Testament and the law. Uh, to, to me, it just means, you know, the New Testament means so much more. You know, and I was just looking at that, and but it never really sunk into my, my brain like it just did. This is a really good summary. Um, growing up, my, my my pastor growing up had a class. I, I don't not every not every year, but maybe every third year. Uh, my mom attended every one. She's I think she's been through the beginner class twenty five times or something like that. Um, and and it is something where she goes, you know, I, I I need this review. I need to hear this. And there are things that I just didn't hear before. Um, yeah. See, you know, it's it's such a a, a broad. It, it is such a broad. So, yeah, concept. Thank you. I agree here, man. Uh, and it, uh, you, you almost need to have it in a summary form for it to really, I, I don't know about anybody else, but 
uh, it's helpful. Patty's going to really enjoy it. Good. Patty's going to really enjoy it. Perfect. Let's pray and we'll conclude. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we ask uh, that uh, your blessing would be upon us as we have studied your word. Uh, we ask that you would continue to give us that uh, comfort and, and uh, of knowing our, our Savior and the forgiveness of our sins. Um, we ask it all through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.